0: Good morning, Church of the City, Guelph. Uh, my name is Jeremiah. For those of you uh, that haven't uh, met me or I haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, uh, I am a church planter uh, with your church family. We're planting a church in Brampton. Uh, you might have seen our updates over the past many months that we've been able to send. Uh, I'm very excited to be here. I'm very excited to uh, be speaking to you uh, and and learning but also teaching uh, through Uh, the book of John. Um, We're continuing where Spencer left off last week. Um, And man, uh, as someone that's coming in fresh into this, I remember when uh, these, um, these sections of scripture were being divvied out for us to preach through. This plan was made a long time ago. I remember reading what I had to preach through and thinking, man, this is a heavy, heavy part of scripture. We're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, And in so many ways, uh, this has impacted, uh, had a great impact on human history, the greatest that we've ever seen. And I'm so excited, uh, and honestly, uh, I'm also um, feeling heavy about the things that I'm gonna be teaching, the things that I'm gonna be talking to you guys about today, but I'm also very, uh, I also feel very privileged to be able to do this with you. Um, so we're reading today from John chapter 19, uh, verses 16b, there's a little tag, uh, all the way through uh, verse 37. So this entire story, uh, we're going to be seeing the the result of the... Um, the accusations and the judgment of Pontius Pilate to then crucify Jesus based on all the accusations of the religious leaders of the Jews of of that time. Um, And what I'd like for us to sort of do as we are reading this and learning from this is to just delve into that experience, uh, delve into being positioned where they are. And I'd like us to move through uh, the extreme Suffering of Jesus, the crazy love of Jesus, and the immense power of Jesus. Um, So let's read uh, from the start here, from verses 16b. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his cross, to the place called a place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. They crucified him, and put him with two others, one on either side. And Jesus between them. So let's just pause here at the end um, of verse 18. So Pilate has placed judgment on Jesus and he is now uh, going to be crucified. Uh, crucifixion uh, was actually invented by the Persians uh, as a torture killing method Uh, for people that were accused of heinous crimes. But in many ways, in practice, the Romans actually perfected this way of torture and killing. This way of torture was so immense, the suffering was so immense, that Roman citizens, so their very own citizens, could not be crucified. It was only the people that they had subjugation over, that they had control over uh, who if they questioned authority if they did something against the authorities if they disobeyed any laws they were liable to be crucified and this was the way the romans exercised power over their vast empire which was very large at this point Um, they wanted to make sure that the people under them knew that they were the authority that they had control uh, we learned from Spencer last week that even the Jewish leaders who were supposed to have authority over the Jews, they didn't actually have that much authority. It was, the, it was Pontius Pilate, it was whoever had the label of Caesar um, at the time. So crucifixion to begin with uh, was something that people very rarely talked about because it was so hard to imagine, it was so hard to see. Um, and in this case, Jesus, uh, part of wh- wh- how crucif- uh, crucifixion took place was he, he actually had to take part of his cross on himself and take it up to where he was going to be crucified, where he was going to die. He had to take the tool of his death up to where it was going to go. Uh, and for those of us uh, that might be familiar with reading the Bible or uh, have spent a long time, um, another... Uh, Another word that we often hear is a cross of Calvary. Uh, Galgotha is the Aramaic for the word skull, and Calvary is just the Latin of the same word. Um, Calvary means skull as well. So um, we're we're coming into this great suffering with Jesus um, where he's taking up this heavy load up a hill uh, so that he would then be crucified. At the end here, we also see that he was crucified Next to two um, others who were um, also bearing punishment, um, some, um, some other um, gospel writers refer to them as the two thieves b- beside Jesus, um, they were in fact guilty for their crimes. Um, And they deserved the punishment they were getting, Uh, but even based on what we saw last week Jesus was not deserving of this crazy crazy punishment, which which is why Pontius Pilate was a Little hesitant to even do it, but he did it because of all the pressure that he was getting from the Jewish authorities So let's continue to read here uh, talking about Pilate uh, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read Jesus of Nazareth the King of the Jews Many of the Jews read this inscription f- for the place where Jesus was crucified and was near the city where it was written in Aramaic in Latin and in Greek So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate do not write the King of the Jews but rather this man said I am King of the Jews and Pilate answers what I have written I have written." So usually when people are crucified, uh, while they're on the cross, uh, they have their names written and what they were accused of. As you can imagine, this entire uh, proceeding was very public. Uh, Jesus was beaten publicly and then he was given this load-bearing piece of wood to carry up a hill. Publicly people saw this people would have mocked him uh, Would have felt sorry for him there are many things going on at the time But one, one of the things that one of the biggest reasons why they wanted to do this was to show the people around them You do not want to bear this fate. This is really painful Please obey the laws that we've given you. Otherwise, this is going to be you and so Sometimes when people are crucified it actually takes days for them to die So as people are walking up and down the road you see these crosses up on very high places where people can see So they see the person's name and what they're accused of and here Pontius Pilate is saying This is Jesus of Nazareth and his accusation was he was the king of the Jews Because that's what he was put to death for And as you can imagine the Jewish leaders had something to say about this because it says king of the Jews They wanted to say he said he was king of the Jews, and that's what got him killed I want to come back to how Perfect that whole situation ended up becoming because as we know um, Jesus claimed those things about himself he claimed to be the Messiah the Savior not just of the Jews but the entire world but Pilate, at the end of it, he, he wanted to stop being influenced by these people because, just based on the story before, he was influenced into killing him, but he wanted to maintain that control. He wanted them to know, I'm still in control here. Ironically, as far as hierarchy is concerned, he would be the king of Jerusalem. He would be the king of the Jews that were there. Uh, but what, he was, what, he, what his accusations towards Jesus, uh, why he was crucified, it was labeled as king of the Jews under Jesus of Nazareth when soldiers uh, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus they took his garments and divided them into four parts one part for each soldier also his tunic but his tunic was seamless woven in one piece from top to bottom and they said to one another let us not tear it but cast lots to see who it shall be this was the this was to fulfill scripture which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots so not only was jesus enduring this immense suffering in in other gospel writings we we get we get a, more of a direct sense of what was happening he was being nailed to the cross and his feet were also nailed to the cross um Most uh, people think uh, that this piercing that happens is what ends up killing the person, but it's actually the asphyxiation of a human being that ends up killing them in crucifixion. Uh, So a person needs to push themselves up off the nails on their legs to even draw breath. So Jesus is really suffering in this particular moment. He is uh, slowly dying um, and what the Roman soldiers do is they continue to mock him they start ripping off his clothes um, They start casting lots right it. They're kind of mocking this moniker of king of the Jews like what kind of king suffers like this And they continue to cast lots and and even in the midst of this even in the midst of this And I want to come back to prophecy later on But even in the midst of this John is reminding us this was intended he says this was this was done to fulfill scripture they divided my garments among them and for my clothes they cast lots and i want to come back to the prophecy later but this i just want us to dive into this experience of being around this immense suffering uh, it wasn't just embarrassing. It wasn't just slightly hurtful. Mind you, even before this crucifixion, the other gospel writers write that he was flogged. Uh, and flogging is just ripping off skin. And then he needs to carry this cross on that ripped skin up a hill. I mean, I'm a pretty large guy. Going up a hill without anything on me is hard enough. But this man, Jesus Christ, our Savior, He willingly took up his cross up on the hill and he was crucified. But what does he do in the midst of this pain, this suffering, this mocking? Uh, This next part, we're going to be talking about Jesus' crazy love uh, for his people. Uh, I'm reading from verse 25 but standing by the cross of Jesus where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home As I was preparing the sermon, um, this part of scripture really hit home for me the most. Because in spite of all of the crazy things that are happening, Jesus still chose to show love. As some of you may know that have journeyed with me uh, through my life, um, just over three years ago, uh, my father Uh, passed away of a sudden heart attack. And I'm so thankful for the church family here that have walked through uh, mourning uh, and grieving through that entire process. It has been a long journey and it still continues. You don't just forget things like that. But uh, many of you may not know that when my father died, I was actually with him. Um, when he was having his heart attack, we were actually rushing him to a hospital. And as he was dying, there was a lot of confusion, there was a lot of fear, there was a lot of pain, there was a lot of hurt. I honestly didn't know what, what exactly was happening. I, I thought maybe that he was just passing out from heat and exhaustion. Uh, but it was only once we got to the hospital that we actually found out that he died of a cardiac arrest, he died of a heart attack. And as he was dying, he was struggling for breath. He was struggling uh, to keep his eyes open and we kept trying to keep his eyes open. We tried to keep him awake. But no matter what we did, um, he couldn't breathe anymore and he couldn't keep his eyes open anymore. And he passed away. And so when when I see this little uh, section of this passage here when when Jesus as he is dying and uh, remember like I said just to draw breath he needs to be in pain he needs to push himself off a nail just to breathe let alone speak but in the midst of all of this especially the mocking that is happening under him he looks upon his mother with compassion and love And he tells to the disciple whom he loves, who is also the author of this gospel, John. John was there. He tells John to take care of his mother, and he tells his mother that this is his son. And it's interesting what's going on here because Jesus had many half-brothers and half-sisters. In fact, uh, we learn about his half-brother James later on. And we even hear another person that wrote a book in the Bible called Jude, who was also a half-brother of Jesus. Uh, Culturally speaking, at this time, but even Eastern cultures, especially where I'm from, it is the honor given to the oldest son of the family to take care of his parents. So even going back to my experience, I remember at my father's funeral, extended family members, friends of our family would tell me, Jeremiah, it's, it's, it's now your turn to take care of your mother and take care of your family. And so what Jesus is doing here is actually very culturally relevant, but not just from a cultural perspective. Throughout the entire Bible, there are so many laws uh, that are given to take care of your family and, and have that responsibility. In fact, after this, when Paul instructs Timothy uh, in First Timothy uh, chapter 5, he's, he's talking about um, uh, widows that are the most vulnerable And he instructs families that have widows in their family to take care of them. And if they don't take care of them, it shows that God is not with them. And so Jesus is rightfully taking on the responsibility of taking care of his family and passing it on to the disciple that he loved. See, James and Jude at this time were not believers of Jesus. Uh, And... I can sort of understand that, like if your older brother told you that he was the savior of the whole world, I, th- I think you can imagine with me that you may not like that very much from your own sibling. Uh, but Jesus actually met with James after uh, he was raised from the dead, and, and, and James became not just a follower of Jesus, but he became a prominent leader of the church. Uh, but in this particular situation, Jesus is taking care of his mother by entrusting this responsibility with a very close disciple of his and that is John in spite of the fact uh, that He's struggling for breath in spite of the fact that he is slowly dying and people are mocking him Jesus's response is love and uh, Let me remind you that this whole thing this whole crucifixion um, is the greatest act of love This world has ever seen because without this we could not be in relationship with our God Jesus died so that we could be in relationship with God. He loved Us so much God loved us so much that he sent his only son uh, So that we can now renew our relationship with him this this world has not seen a greater love than this From his suffering, his immense suffering, we talk about his crazy, crazy love. And now we talk about his amazing, amazing power. So I'm going to continue reading from verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so that they put a sponge full of sour wine and a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In the most upside down way possible, Jesus shows his power. When he says it is finished, he wasn't talking about his life was finished. The, the word in Greek for it is uh, the word for finished in Greek is testalitie tes and it's often seen in accounting ledgers uh, between government officials and their and 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 the people that are paying taxes so archaeologists have found uh, ledgers and ledgers of people's names and how much they owed and maybe the next word that they see next to it is testelistai. it's all paid for it's all done you don't have to pay this person doesn't need to pay anything anymore for this year his debt is taken away but see Jesus was not paying his debt he was paying the debt for all of us. This one human being and this one human act of willingly coming and and dying for the penalty of our sin has the power to cleanse us all, to clear the ledger and say it is finished to all of our sin. We are no longer chained to our sin because of what Jesus has done through this atonement. And again, again, in the most upside down way possible, in his suffering, we see his power. Through his death, we see, we, we find our strength. And this, we don't hear a lot in our stories. My, my favorite superhero, for example, is the Hulk, right? And, and we all know he is this immense green guy that grows when he gets angry and he smashes things. He was a very strong dude, right? And, and when we think of heroes, when we think of strong people, we, we, we gravitate towards that. But I can tell you, Hulk can't smash through my sin or your sin or his own sin. Jesus in his death said it was finished. It was finished in that we no longer have to be a slave to our sin. He took on the penalty of our sin so that if we believe in him as our savior, we no longer have to pay that price to God because he has paid it for us. Where most of the world sees weakness in the cross and crucifixion, this is where as a believer in Christ, we draw our strength because without this, there was no atonement for our sin. And talk about power We when we think of the story we think that the Romans killed Jesus or or the Jews accused Jesus so that he would be killed Jesus was in control the entire time He willingly took up his cross on that hill and and what we see Here is that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit He was in control the entire time He knew from the beginning of the age that this needed to happen to atone for all of our sins so that now we can experience victory in Christ. We can experience relationship with God because of what Christ has done. Through his great suffering and through his amazing love for us, we see his power. And this is very different from how we think of power today and it should change the way we think of power. When we look at the crucifixion, what does it mean for the way we live our lives? As I said earlier, we're, we're planting a church in Brampton, and uh, similar to you guys, we started off um, September with a vision series. We were talking about our identity as, as the family of God, called to be disciples following Jesus, and, and missionaries, uh, people that are sent out to love others around us and bring people back into the family of God. And it's really cool to go through that process and be reminded of all of those things, but something I realize when I think of this story, when I think of Christ's love, when I think of sorry, when I think of Christ's sacrifice, his love and 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 his power that is seen in and through all of this is that it means that we, when we are on mission with God, when we are called to be family of God, when, when we're called to be disciples, we don't do it from a place of weakness because after this, spoiler alert, he raises from the dead. And after that, he sends his Holy Spirit to all of us. The same spirit that he has is now in us. We are very powerful people. And so when Jesus, in in an... In, in in the book of Matthew, at the end of Matthew, we read, he says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. He's saying, because of what I've done on the cross, I have all authority. I have all the strength. And guess what? You have it too. Therefore, go and make disciples we need to be active in our pursuit of bringing people to this knowledge of this immense sacrifice that was needed for the the guilt and the sin and the brokenness that we bear. It can be taken away. This is good news for your neighbors. This is good news uh, uh, for your co-workers, for your fellow students, whoever you might be. Imagine that God has placed you where you are for a reason. You know, we kind of sometimes think of ourselves as maybe a teacher that happens to be Christian or a lawyer that happens to be Christian. No, what Jesus instructs us is that our primary job is to make disciples, which means that we're not lawyers or teachers that happen to be Christians. We're Christians that are lawyers so that we can make disciples. We are Christians that are teachers so that we can make disciples. Our primary role, because of this crazy, um, This crazy story of how in an upside-down way, in what seemed like weakness, he shows his strength, we can now get this strength and now share with others. We can be saved from death into eternal life, and it's only through Jesus. I'm very grateful uh, to be able to have gone through this passage with you um, and, and, and the great power that comes with it. Um, the last few verses are talking about the preparation uh, of burying Jesus and, and uh, this whole process of where the, where the um, Roman soldiers were breaking the bones of uh, the other um, criminals. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he had already died and, and, and he was pierced to confirm that he was dead which is, uh, if you read and if you're interested, actually confirms a lot of what we believe about the crucifixion, that it actually happened, because when you look at medical journals about this, it all confirms uh, from the anatomy of what it would look like to go through asphyxiation when you're going through crucifixion. But I want to go back to Christ's power here too, because what we see is that Christ willingly in the present takes on the suffering he gives up his spirit at the end so we see his power in the present I also talked about his power in in the implications of what happens here after he raises up from the dead he sends his Holy Spirit so that because of what he has done we can all now take part in this kingdom building that he started and we can have the same power uh, of the Holy Spirit that is now in all of us if we believe in Jesus but in all of these prophecies, uh, he also sh- Jesus also shows his power over the past. All of these things were confirmed. And, and John says um, John says in verse 35, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true and he knows his, he is telling the truth that you may believe. Christ shows his power in the present, the future, but also in the past, confirming all of these promises in the book of Psalms, in the book of Zechariah. If if you're interested, um, you can definitely, there's so much research out there, there's so much um, written about all of these things that Christ fulfilled in his life, but also in this section of his crucifixion that confirmed he was indeed the Messiah, he was indeed the savior of the entire world in an amazing upside down way through his death, we can experience power. And we have the power in us to serve others. So let's just pray um, with these realities. Let's just pray that uh, this is born a reminder for us as believers in Jesus, but also, if we do struggle to be on mission, if we do struggle with our faith sometimes, Um, We know that we can be drawn back to his amazing love, his amazing sacrifice, and his amazing power. So let's thank God for what he's done. And Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, God, that we no longer have to be chained to our brokenness, no longer have to be chained to our sin because of what you've done. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took on the suffering as the greatest act of love this world has ever seen but also showed your power, not just now, not just in the future, but also confirming so many things that humanity was looking forward to in its Savior. God, you are so powerful. You are so loving. And you sacrifice so much so that we can be in relationship with you. Help us, God, through your Holy Spirit to share this good news with people around us. I thank you, God, for this opportunity for me to talk with people in my mother church here in Guelph, and I pray, God, that we'd be reminded of in Brampton that we're on mission together, um, and, God, that wherever Christians are, uh, we're on mission together regardless of uh, job descriptions or whatever it might be. Lord, our primary uh, job is to make disciples, and we do that through your strength, so we thank you, God.